Good morning. I <clears throat> um, just want to say to you this morning, you should consider yourselves blessed. You will not hear any illustration that has to do with a solar eclipse. <laughs> it's not for a lack of trying, it is for a lack of cleverness. I do want to begin our um, time together reflecting on how we started our service. This is the baptism service in our, our prayer book, and we, we, we said this. We said um, back and forth to each other, we said, there is one body and one spirit. There is one hope in God's call to us, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, like so much of our prayer book and our week-in and week-out worship here at St. Paul's, these words come um, almost directly from Scripture, from Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's what we see in the implication of these verses is that in our baptism, we're actually joined into a larger and more profound family than we could ever imagine. It's a family drawn together not by our ethnicity or our marital ties, but by faith in the one Lord and the one God and Father of all. And so this morning I will have the, the tremendous privilege of baptizing my son James. But we recognize that he is being welcomed into a family, you guys, the church worldwide. He's being welcomed into a family that despite all of its earthly flaws is far more complete and far more fulfilling than any family that Lanier and I could provide ourselves. Indeed, the family that James is welcomed into this morning, God willing, will provide the environment for his heart to be shaped into the likeness of Christ. This family will cultivate his faith so that one day he may confirm this baptism with his own confession of Christ. This family will offer grace and encouragement when this world and perhaps even sometimes his earthly family fail. This family will cheer him on with life's joys. They will weep with him in life's sorrows. And this family of God will point him to the resurrection hope that we all share. And so in light of this, I'd like us to ask the question this morning, exactly what kind of family can do this? It's a profound thing and a profound family. And so as we look at our readings this morning, I think we will see three characteristics. There's much more, but, but three from our readings this morning of this profound family of God that we are all baptized into when we confess Christ. And so the first thing I want to highlight about this family is simply this. This is a, a family of profound welcome. We are a welcoming family. Consider our gospel lesson this morning. Now, I won't get into the details of this lesson. Many of you um, will remember we actually read this over the summer as part of our Heart Sayings of the Bible series. And, and if you want to know more about the difficulties of this passage, um, there's a sermon from July 16th. You can go and, and listen to that on our website. 
But big picture, in light of our baptism, I want us to consider this profound welcome that Jesus gives to this Canaanite woman. He's just left Judea with his disciples, right? We, we read about some of this last week. He, he sent them across the lake, and, and he came to them walking on water. He's just had a confrontation with the Pharisees, and, and he's going up into the region of, of, of Canaan, into the, to the area outside of Israel, to probably get a little rest and refreshment with his disciples. And there he meets this Canaanite woman. And he's very clear with her when she comes to him asking for healing. He says, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the house of Israel. He's basically telling her to go away. This woman was a Canaanite, a a Gentile, an arch enemy, right, of God's people. She's not part of the people chosen by God to be a great nation. She's not part of the people that God rescued from Egypt. She's not part of the people that God gave the law to. She's not part of the people that God blessed. She's other. She's outside. An arch enemy to the Israelites. So when she presses Jesus and she resolutely asks for her healing, it's a bit surprising. She's relentless. She won't... Stop. And we see with Jesus a a stunning change, right? He goes from saying, no, I'm not here for you, to looking looking at her and, and declaring that, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. What has happened? Well, this woman remembers the promise to Abraham. That the very purpose of God's people is to be a blessing to all the nations, to be a blessing to all the people. And, and while Jesus came for Israel, he came for Israel so that he could be the salvation to all people. Not just the Hebrews, but the Greeks as well. Not just God's chosen people, but, but the Gentiles as well. All people are welcomed into Jesus' kingdom. It's a kingdom that's not grown on ethnicity, but it is grown and inclusive of those who have faith in Christ. So this Canaanite woman, by virtue of her faith, really, right? A woman, great is your faith. By virtue of her faith, not her blood, she's welcomed into the family of God. Now, friends, this has significant implications for how we live together as the people of God. It calls for a profound welcome to all who come in faith. The family of the baptized, the family of God, is not limited by race or culture or socioeconomic status. Indeed, the ties of faith and baptism are far stronger and far more profound than any ethnic, national, or cultural ties. Listen, you have more in common with a Christian in Syria than your next-door neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus. It's a profound statement. And my prayer for all of us is that our faith would be shaped by a family that spans time, that spans cultures, that spans nations, and that spans races, that offers a glimpse of the kingdom of God in all of its profound and welcoming fullness. John Stott once wrote in a a famous book on preaching, he notes that 
we don't leave our worries and concerns outside of this building when we come to church. We bring them in here with us, and we're wondering if the gospel has a say in what's happening in the things that concern us in our world today. Now, obviously, this has significant importance on our current cultural conversations. And we need to recognize that we have African-American brothers and sisters in Christ who are weeping and who are fearful. And we might not always agree on ways to address issues of racism in this country, but we at least need to recognize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are desperate and afraid. And we can stand with them. And we can listen to them and we can seek to understand and we can be clear that racism and nationalism that excludes on the basis of ethnicity has no place in the people of God. It has no place in our church because we, friends, are united in baptism through faith in one Lord and one God and one Savior, Jesus Christ. We're called to be a family of profound welcome. Second observation from our readings. We're called to be a family of profound grace. Consider the story of Joseph. Now, if, if I'm honest, when I read about Joseph, I really see him as kind of a bratty, arrogant little brother. Just saying. He was boasting about his dreams, Right? I'm special, God's given me these dreams, and, and he even came to his brothers one day, and he said, all of you, you're going to bow down to me one day. How do you think that went, well, went, went for him? Not so good. Um, they'd had enough. They'd had enough of Joseph, they'd have enough of his bragging, they'd have enough of his special multicolored coat. And so they throw him into a pit to leave him for dead. They have a change of heart, and they pull him out of the pit, and they sell him into slavery. And he's brought to Egypt. And they, they get his coat, right, and they cover it in goat's blood, and they bring it to his father Jacob. And they say, Jacob, father, is this not your son's coat? He's been killed, killed by a fierce animal. And Jacob, of course, is devastated. The brothers... Perhaps feeling a little guilty, but certainly happy to have Joseph out of the way. Now, fast forward 13 years. Joseph has actually come out of slavery. He's come out of prison by virtue of this gift God has given him, the ability to interpret dreams, and, dreams, and he's risen to a place of prominence in Pharaoh's kingdom. Significant authority. And at the same time, Joseph's family is facing an immense famine. They have no food. They're on the brink of death. And they, they journey from the land of Israel down into Egypt. And they beg for food. As providence would have it, they are sent into Joseph's palace. And not recognizing their brother, they, they beg their brother, who they sold into slavery, to save their lives. And to share the food that Egypt has been storing up. What is Joseph to do? What is a wronged older brother to do? Certainly he could, or younger brother, excuse me. Certainly he could seek justice. He could seek vengeance. He had the authority to kill them on the spot if he wanted. At the very least, deny them food. But instead he says this to his brothers. 
do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, so to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What an amazing grace that Joseph extends to his brothers. It's profound that he would forgive them for selling him into slavery for, for, for 13 long years, being separated from his beloved father. Friends, we're called to be a family of profound grace, even perhaps more profound than Joseph's. Why? Well, friends, we're a family that's received profound grace, have we not? That God himself, Jesus Christ, would, we, would come down from heaven, would identify with us, would walk with us, and subsequently take our sins, the penalty we deserve for rejecting God, would take them on his shoulders and be nailed to the cross. That he would love us even as we were crucifying him. What profound grace has God offered to us? And so it's not simply that we've received that grace and thank God that we have, but we're called to extend it. To have among us as the body of Christ, the mind of Christ. To forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. To forgive even our enemies and leave justice up to God. Friends, we're a family of profound grace, and it's my prayer that our faith would be shaped by this grace and by the grace of God's people, that, that we would know God's love for us firsthand because we've experienced it from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family of profound grace. And then finally, the family of God is a family of profound hope. A family of profound hope. Look again at verse 20 of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 50. Um, Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What hope is there in that statement that, that in his slavery, in the midst of his, the darkest moments of his life, Joseph can reflect on that and say, God meant that for good. God meant that for good. What a hopeful statement. Joseph has hope even in the midst of slavery and imprisonment that God was using this for his good purposes. Now, did he despair? Well, of course. Did he weep for, weep for his circumstances? He certainly did. Was he angry at his brothers? No doubt he was. But above all, above all things, he had hope. And friends, we have a hope that is even greater than that of Joseph. We have the hope of resurrection. Because even the darkest day in history is called good because of the hope of the resurrection that next Sunday. That even when God's perfect and beautiful son was nailed to a cross, we have the hope of the resurrection. 
that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that one, one day we too will, will join with him in that resurrection. And so even in the midst of our fears and the darkest days of our lives, we look to the resurrected Christ and say, God has that for us. And in light of that, then, there is no more fear but hope. And so I pray that we would be a family of God that is not surprised nor threatened by injustice, persecution, or even death itself. That this family would shape a bold faith in our hearts that we might not fear the consequences of bearing witness to Christ. And again, let us bring this to bear on current circumstances. As most of you know, we have um, been in this lawsuit that, that we've lost. We've lost. Now, there's still some appeals and some, some, some legal hope, but, but the fact of the matter is we lost. We'll probably have to leave these buildings. And we stood up for the gospel. And we might have to walk away. And there's hope in that because God takes awful and despairing things and he means them for good. May we be a family that's drawn together in hard circumstances. A family that is made stronger, that our faith is made deeper. We may be a family that's, that's willing to walk out of here with a, a pioneering spirit and look ahead to a, a day where we can proclaim Jesus Christ in some other location. Maybe in a place that's more public. More open. What could that look like? Can you get a vision for that? That God would take what's happening here and now and use it for the better purposes of his kingdom. Friends, that's the kind of family we are. A family that hopes. And so today as we, we witness this baptism of James, I pray that we would be reminded that we are a family of profound welcome, a family of profound grace, and a family of profound hope. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you.